I want to, I want, I've got a lot of things to share with you this morning, and I just want to talk to you because as I, I said last week, and I've said it a couple of weeks, this I believe. I think that it is so important in the day that we live in, the age that we live in, the time that we are in, and I've said to you, the experts agree, that there is no agreement anywhere, that everybody's an expert, everybody's a prophet, everybody's a coach, everybody's a, a helper, all of those things. We've got social media coming out the wazoo and everything else, and we don't know what to believe. We don't know where to go sometimes. We don't know really what's up and what's down, and we're getting moved around, and I don't believe that that's the position of the body of Christ. I do not believe that that's where you and I as followers of Christ should live. So I started out talking about this, I believe, some, some cornerstones of faith, and I, I gave you a list of six of them, and uh, really it's my personal list in a sense, and I think it'll be helpful to you, but, but I've been using this statement, and I want to dig at it just a little bit more, and I know I'm just sort of jumping in, but I've got a limited amount of time, and I've got way more to talk about than what I have time for, so we'll see where, sorry, back in the back back there once more, just hang in there as best as you can, but I've made the statement to you that the conclusion that you arrive at will be based upon the belief that you have before the thing. The conclusion you arrive at is based on the belief that you start with. And so I've given you a list of six things that I think you should start with. And those six things um, um, basically starts like this. Because I believe that God's word is true, I have confidence. Everything starts with the word of God. And you can go back to the first week and, and, and hear those things. Um, secondly, I believe that God is good. How many of you believe that God is a good God? How many of you know that sometimes in this life and in this world, things aren't good? So God is good even when the world's not. God is good even when life isn't. If your belief is that maybe the bad things that are happening right now are because of something that happened before or something I did or because maybe God's not good, then the conclusion you arrive at is going to be wrong. But Because God is a good God, <clears throat> because God is a good God, I have peace. Because God is all-powerful, I am not going to be afraid. There are fear cells, and there are a lot of people of, of every stripe and color, political persuasion and life and everything else, a lot of people telling you to be afraid. Don't fall for it. These are times to be awake, not the woke movement. These are times to be awake. These are times to be, as the Bible says, sober or to be vigilant, but these are not the times to give in to fear. So because God is all-powerful, I'm not going to be afraid. Because I know that God loves me, because I believe that God loves me, I have security. I'm secure in that. I'm not trying to figure out how to get into his good graces. I was into his good graces before I ever messed up. Because I believe that there's an empty tomb, I've got victory. Jesus triumphs over death, hell, and the grave. And because I, believe, because I believe that Jesus is coming again, I have hope. And our faith, we said this last week, is based on the same thing that Abraham's faith was. Abraham believed God. All of the experts said it can't happen. You cannot have a child. You're too old. Even though the promise of God seemed impossible, God kept his promise because Abraham believed. Abraham wasn't a super spiritual person. Abraham wasn't a great man of faith. It, it, the reason he, I guess I should say this way, the reason he was called a great man of faith is because he, his believing was based on the same thing that you and I have the opportunity to believe on, and that is his word. Abraham believed according to that which is, has been said. 
Abraham believed according to what God said. I'm trying to convince you in this series that you need to believe according to what God said, that you need to let what God said be the source, be the peace, be the strength, be the power of your life. Let it be the foundation and the undergirding because what you believe when you go into is going to be a base, be based, what you believe going into it, your, your conclusion is going to be based on that and your conclusion will be your greatest asset or your greatest liability. So let me, let me, and I thought I had it on the screen, I don't, but this is something that is, I think, I've said it for the last couple of weeks, I want to take it apart a little bit more. Again, the conclusion that you arrived at is based on the belief that you start with. It's based on the belief that you, you're starting with. We often mistake our beliefs for the truth. We think that it's the believing of something that makes it true. If I believe it, if I believe it, then it must be true. And as we've said in the last couple of weeks, there are things that happen every day that, that we find out every day that we were believing something later to find out that it wasn't true. And that feeling that something is true is the conclusion that we arrived at. And I've used this illustration. If you're one of the people who were kind of like me, who, who, who wasn't really convinced that God loved them. When you go into something in life unconvinced that God, doesn't, that God doesn't love you or that God's love for you is based on something you do rather than who he is, your conclusion is going to be wrong. And so we sometimes mistake, we think that it's the believing of something that makes it true. But I hope you understand this morning that just because you believe something does not necessarily mean that it is true. And I hope you see that there's a difference there. I know it's maybe a little bit of a nuance. I'm not trying to make a play on words or anything, but I think it is something that we need to consider, that there are beliefs that we are holding right now. There are beliefs that we don't even question. There are conclusions that we've arrived at that maybe are a, is, is a wrong conclusion. And so I, wanna, I want to share a quick story with you, and I'm just going to jump to it. John, uh, uh, this is in Matthew's gospel, and I'll read it and talk about it. And I have the, uh, Let me just go on. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 1. Jesus was asked a question. I want to tell you it's okay to ask Jesus questions. Let me say that again. It is all right. Some people think, well, you can never question God. I think God is honored by those questions. God wants to reveal himself to us. And as we humbly seek him, the Bible says he will reveal himself to us. And so in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, this is John the Baptist, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him. Here's the question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, there were a lot of people that were questioning whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. All kinds of people. In fact, you know, Nicodemus was the one who came to Jesus at night. And he, he basically asked, are you the Messiah? Who are you? What is going on? I think that, that Nicodemus had some understanding. He had an idea. Now, if it was Nicodemus asking this question or if it was the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well, if it was those people asking a question, that would be one thing. If it was Thomas, if it was Peter, we would understand it. But the person who's asking this question isn't any of them. The person asking this question is John the Baptist. If there's anybody who put up with more noise in his life, anybody who put up with more ridicule on one side and great fanfare and acclaim on the other side, it was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the one, actually, 
This is kind of cool. Do you know who the first person was who recognized that Jesus was the Messiah? It was a baby in the womb that recognized that Jesus was the Messiah. An unborn baby, John the Baptist, in his mother's womb, danced for joy because he was in the presence of Jesus. And that was his mission. That was his life. It was to declare the way of the Lord. He went about and he was proclaiming that Jesus, he is the one. He is the Messiah. And now here, John the Baptist had been in prison for a year. He knew that things weren't looking good. He had heard the rumors. He had heard that they wanted to put him to death. He had heard these things. He, has, he was disconnected to a certain extent from the ministry of Jesus. And he's now in a position that he's questioning. He's now in a position that he's like, you know what? I've spent my entire life declaring that he is the Messiah. But the way things look right now, he doesn't seem to be the one. Would you go? He told his disciples, go and ask Jesus if he really is the one. And I think that's real similar to things that happen in our life that we sometimes get weary in well-doing. We go through the motions of Christianity or we really try to dig in for a season in Christianity. And then the events of life begin to happen. And as those events begin to happen, we begin to question. When I present to you the word of God or when the the, the word of God comes to you in whatever form it is and it, it is something that you need to perhaps consider in your life and you need to make a change in your life, Sometimes the question is, well, what if, God, you don't come through? God, I believe that you want me to do this. God, I believe that you said this. God, I want you to, I know you said to forgive. I know that you said that I should love. I know that you said I should give. I know that you said those things. But what if I don't? What if I can't? What if I fail? Are you really the one? Are you really that powerful? Are you really that strong? Can you really come through? I was reminded of something I said before the election. No, I don't want to go there. Sorry, I just forgot what I said. I might come back to it, but I might not. See, the conclusion that you arrive at is based on the belief that you had at the beginning. So here's Jesus' response. Does Jesus have something to say to us, to you and to me? When we're in that position, like, well, what if, God, and how come, God, and why, God? Does Jesus have something to say to us? He does. Here's Jesus' response somewhere in my notes. Oh, I need to say this to you. I'm, I'm really struggling, bouncing around. All right. If you believe that the proof of your faith is in what you're currently experiencing, whether it is good or whether it is bad. Let me say that again. If you believe that the proof of your faith is in what you're currently experiencing, whether it's good or bad. Here's what I found out in my life. If everything's hunky-dory, if everything's going well in my life, if everything's good, then God's good. But when I start to get uncomfortable, when bad things begin to happen, when it seems like God is silent or, or God isn't moving as quickly as I want him to move, when that begins to happen, I'm like, God, what's up? Where are you, God? And, and some people, you know, they, they take it a step farther. It's like, well, God's not good. God, God is doing this to me because... If your faith, if you believe that the proof of your faith is in what you're currently experiencing, whether it is good or whether it is bad, the moment that you experience something contrary to what you were expecting, then you're going to begin to question. So what was Jesus' response? What did Jesus tell the disciples to say? Verse 4 of Matthew 11, Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear, what you hear and see. 
The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And then he says this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Tell John that. Tell that to John. John who's in prison. John who's been there for a year. John who the things that it, it, he's given his life to proclaim that Jesus is coming and, or Jesus is the Messiah. And now all of a sudden life and everything else has turned against him. He's removed from the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus is not kind in a sense. He's not nice. He's not giving him some great platitude like, hang in there, John. Just keep believing. He says, don't stumble. Seems rather rude to me. John, I know your life sucks right now, but don't get tripped up by it. And that's actually, the word stumble in the Greek is the word scandalon. We get the word scandal or scandalize, not in the same idea. It simply means to trip or to trip up. It means to, to entice. It literally means to, to, for there to be a stumbling block or something that would impede the progress of a person. Something that would impede your progress. So Jesus was saying to John, John... That whole prison thing, that rumor that you're going to be beheaded or that you're going to be put to get death, that's nothing, but a, that's, not, that's nothing but a stumbling block. That's nothing but something that's designed to trip you. That's nothing but something that is designed to impede your progress. Don't fall for it. Don't stumble for it. Now, to me, that seems a little bit, I don't know, it just, it just seems a, a, a little bit hard. But I think Jesus was trying to tell John, John, you know what's really true. You know deep down on the inside of you. You know, you're the one who knew that I was the one in the womb. You're the one who knew those things. Do not let the circumstance of this life move you off of the thing that truly gives life. Don't let it move you away from those things. Don't let it move you off of that thing. Be careful because this is something that you're going to trip over. You're going to stumble over. And so again, we think that it's the believing of something that makes it true. I shared with you last week, I think, and I've shared with you before, I arrived at a conclusion. I believed, I, I honestly believed that I was an accident waiting for a place to happen. I honestly believed that I was inferior. I, I honestly believe that I was not as good as anybody else. And part of that reason is something my dad said. And part of the reason is because of things that I misunderstood about God and Christianity. Because I was raised in an environment that there was a whole lot of don't, 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 don't. Do not, do not, do not, do not. And I did a lot of the do nots. Just going to be honest with you. In fact, I did way more do nots than I did do's. And, and I don't want to blame my church that I grew up in. They were wonderful, wonderful, loving people. But it built a weakness into my heart and into my life because I was taught that every time I sinned, I, or at least I heard every time I sinned, I needed to go back and I needed to get saved again and I needed to start over. And, and I would hear all these other people. It's like life is so good and God is so good and everything else. And then I'm like, what the heck? How come I can't do this? And I arrived at a conclusion. I arrived that there was something that was broken, something that was wrong in me, that it was impossible for me to live this Christian life. And at the age of 17, I, I, I was given a left foot of fellowship from my mom's house. She said, you can't stay here if you don't follow our rules. And I was, you know, well, bless God, I'll just go. And she said, fine, go. And I went. 
And for the next 18 months, I continued to go. I continued to go. Why? Because the conclusion I arrived at was based on the belief that I had at the beginning. And the belief that I had at the beginning was that I'm not good enough. I can't do this Christian life. There's not enough in me. And I arrived at a different conclusion where 18 months later, I was like, how in the world did I get here? How in the world has this become my life? Now, I don't know if anybody else can identify with that, but that's where I was. And it was based on the belief I had at the beginning. There's a passion in my heart and in my life to make sure you don't do the same stupid thing. Which is why week after week, I'm like trying to convince you, God is good. He's got a plan for your life. You might not be perfect, but there's a perfect one on the inside of you. And the more we can depend on God, his word, and his spirit in our life, the more we do that, the more we are going to become like who he wants us to be. But it's some hard work. It is some hard work for you and me to change some of the stinking thinking that we have, to change some of the feelings that we have, to let go of some of our self-pity and our victimhood and all of that other stuff. So, let me ask you this question. Are you tripping over today? Are you stumbling over something that's not even true? Are you stumbling over something that is not even true? You've arrived at it. I was stumbling over something that wasn't even true. I thought that God's love for me, that God's grace for me, that God's benefits toward me was based on me. It was based on how good I was, how many scriptures I knew, whether or not I could pray like so-and-so or whether or not I could live like so-and-so. And the moment that I didn't measure up to the benchmark that I had created, I fell away. Can I just tell you, honestly, the truth has zero respect for your misbeliefs. The truth has no, your misbeliefs, your wrong believing will crumble and fall powerless at the face of truth, the truth, God's word. God's word is powerful, and it will change, and it will tear down, and it will, it will destroy strongholds that remain in your life. I almost, this almost became a scandal on in my life. <laughs> so church, quit, st- quit tripping over the things that aren't true. Don't trip over those things. There are systems all around us that you can get your life involved in that will help you begin to build new conclusions, that will help you to be, there's systems of small groups, there's systems of study, there's, you know, we live in such a crazy age where all you got to do is Google, and you can find whatever it is, unfortunately, (laughs) to your detriment sometimes, but anything that you're struggling with, anything that you need to know, want to know, and so... I want you to consider something this morning because a lot of times when we are presented with truth, when we're presented with God's word, when we're presented with something, the question that we sometimes ask is, well, what if? What about? What if it doesn't turn out? What if if God doesn't come through? What if it doesn't happen the way that I thought it was going to happen? And I'll tell you right now, there are going to be a lot of things that will happen the way you, that will not happen the way you thought they were going to happen. I guarantee you. There's a lot of things in your life that are going to happen, not the way you thought they would, but God will come through. There are so many times in my life that I had preconceived ideas going, this great story, pastor friend, minister friend, he's he's gone home to be with the Lord, he's died, but he he was recounting the story, many of you remember this, but he was recounting the story, he was a, a 
he traveled and spoke in churches. He was driving through the hills of Arkansas, and he was just praying. His wife was actually driving. He was in the passenger seat. He's praying. He's going over his notes, just, just really just kind of fellowshipping with the Lord. And, and he just said he sensed on the inside that there was, he said it was like a voice or just an, an, an impression really is a better way to say that, just an impression that over the next hill, you're going to see a tractor. So he's driving through countryside, he's looking, he comes over the hill, doesn't see any vehicles, doesn't see anything, his semi goes by, and he's still driving, he's still moving around, he's still going, he's looking for trees, or looking for tractors, looking for tractors, looking in every field, never sees a tractor, they pull up to the church, and it was like, God, I thought you said I was going to see a tractor over the next hill. He said, you did. He said, no, I didn't, the only thing I saw was a semi. He said, yeah, it was a semi-tractor that was pulling that trailer. And he said, all of a sudden... It's like the Spirit of God said on the inside, I'm under no obligation to, I am under no obligation to act on what you thought I said. I'm under no obligation. God is not under obligation to act on what you think. He will act on what he says. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Yeehaw. This whole Christianity thing is hard. Hard. It's the heart that makes it good. It's the heart that makes it powerful. A couple chapters later, the disciples, Jesus has been ministering to people, and he's <laughs> there, and, and this is such a great story. We kind of, Peter always, this is Peter walking on the water. He gets top billing, and uh, usually, but there's a couple of little nuances, and I've, I want to just, there's one thing that I want you to see out of this. So in, in, in Matthew chapter uh, 14, he, uh, Jesus tells the disciples, I want you to get into the boat, I want you to go to the other side. That was the command. Get in the boat, go to the other side. How many of you know what happened when they were in the boat going to the other side? What happened? A great big storm arose, right? Big storm came up. What did Jesus say he was going to do? Jesus said, he, he said, I'm going to send the people away, and then I'm going up to the mountain to pray. Now, scholars will say that Jesus, from that vantage point, could see out over the water. He could see the approaching storm. Storm hits. Now, I am not here to tell you this morning that Jesus sent the storm. But Jesus had to have known that the storm was coming, which tells you and me something, that sometimes in our life, storms are going to come. Just going to happen. Life is going to happen. Storms are going to come. It's just going to happen. But there's hope in that storm because where Jesus was, he could see them. He could see them. You know, there's sometimes in life that you feel like he's so unaware. You feel like God is nowhere to be found. You feel like Jesus doesn't care. But I'm here to tell you this morning, he does care. He sees everything in your life and every intimate detail of it. He knows you. He cares about you. He wants the very best for you. And there they were in the storm. And notice that in the storm, when they came, the King James Version, New King James, says that he, Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. Now, the fourth watch was early in the morning, I think from like three in the morning to six in the morning. There were four watches. Jesus didn't show up during the first watch. And he didn't show up during the second watch. And he didn't show up after the third watch. He showed, up on, after the, he showed up during the fourth watch. You see, Jesus just doesn't want to bring relief to your life. He just doesn't want to make everything better, make everything easy. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know that you can trust him. He wants you to know that he is good. He wants you to know that if you follow his way and not your way, that eventually you're going to arrive at a place that is better 
than where you started out. And, and as you know the story, Jesus walks up. Peter said, Lord, if that's you, actually they're like, oh, it's a ghost. Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me to come. Jesus says, come on. I don't know if that caught Peter off guard. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? What? You know, Jesus, I've never walked on water. I need to kind of, you know, can you, like, do I jump out with both feet under the water? Do I step down? Do I, I mean, how, how, do I, how do I do this? You see, we get tripped up sometimes in that. God, how do, how do I do that? Sometimes God doesn't give you the how. He just says go. He just says do. Sometimes there's just an impression on the inside. I cannot tell you the number of times that I wanted God to give me direction. What I wanted to see was the end result. I wanted to know that everything was going to work out okay first. And I wanted to know how everything was going to work out okay first. But God very rarely gives that end result. He gives you the impression. He gives you the first step. And he asks you to take that first step. I think back to the beginning of the pandemic. And well, it was in April, I guess it was. And I had an impression. Everything that my ears and everything that my eyes could tell me, and I'm reading, and I'm trying to figure things out, and, you know, we're in uncharted water. We are in a storm that we have never been in before as a church, as a nation, as a people. I mean, everything changed, right? And, and here we are pastoring a church trying to figure things out, and we can't meet, which is what the church really is. And a lot of really, really cool things happened as a result of being forced into something else that was a, a little bit uncomfortable. But those first couple of weeks of the pandemic, our giving here at Joy went down like 70%. I met with staff. They will tell you. We had a big meeting. I, was, I said, listen, I'm thinking, you know, if, if this whole pandemic thing goes on for six weeks, we could be in trouble. And I believe in God. But this is where we are right now. That means some of us, we, we're, we might be looking for a job if the pattern continues. Now, that's all the pressure and everything that's going on and everybody's feelings. And then I'm reading stories about pastors and churches in New York. And they're bare, they have people dying right and left. And they can't do funerals. And it's like, oh, Jesus, what in the world is going on? And I remember an impression on the inside. <laughs> you need to give. I'm like, ha, ha, get behind me, Satan. As a church, you need to give. I'm like, no way. That's stupid. That's crazy. But my belief going into something gave me a different conclusion. Because I know that it's, you're blessed if you give. I know that that kicks down the enemy's doors. I know that giving is an important thing in my life and in the life of this church. And I was praying and I said, Lord, what does that mean? What are we supposed to do? You can see, you can see, as better, you can see it better than I can. And he said, I want you to give 25% of your Easter offering. I go, Lord, that's my biggest offering. What if, what if, what if things continue to go? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? I was like, all right. Not only that, but take 25% of joy to the world, match it, give it to people that are hungry. I'm like, wait, what? I don't know anybody that's hungry. Except for me, and I'm always on a diet. That's my problem. Honestly, <laughs> so I didn't. So, so God wanted to show Himself, reveal Himself. He wanted to. He wanted to help me understand something. 
And so we did that. We were able to give $10,000. We, we gave 25% of our Easter offering. We, gave, we matched that with Joy to the World. We were able to give $10,000 to a couple of organizations that are feeding kids, feeding elderly, all those kinds of things. I learned some really, really valuable lessons. But here's the important thing that I want you to see. I believe... I can't prove it. I can't, I don't think you can disprove it. I, we had the, I think it is the fourth best giving year that we've ever had as a church in a pandemic when people were afraid. <laughs> God, I don't know how you do what you do. Now, now here's what I want you to see. Jesus said, I want you guys to get in the boat and go to the other side. As soon as you start out doing what God says to do, there's going to be resistance in your life. You you're eventually might arrive at a place where I don't want to do this. It, it hurts and it's hard. And it's hard to keep going. But what if, rather than, what if the answer, what if the thought, rather than what if this doesn't work? What if God doesn't come through? What if I fail? What if I fall? What if, what if, what if? What if there's something better what if there's something better on the other side of the storm that makes going through the storm worth it? What if hitting your knees, hitting the word of God, doing what you don't want to do, lifting up a voice of praise, what if going through that storm that on the other, why do we have more faith in the negative what if than we do in the positive what if? What if we do do the word of God? What if we do witness? What if we do share our faith? What if we do invite people to church? Well, some might laugh. Yeah, they might, but what if they don't? What if they come? What if they surrender their heart and their life to Jesus? Woo! That's a good what if. That's worth going through the storm for, isn't it? There's always going to be resistance when it comes to doing what God wants you to do. Always. 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 So we're going to encounter storms. God doesn't send them necessarily. Jesus didn't create the storm. But I think he knew a storm was coming, and ultimately it was so that... Jesus could be revealed as the one to trust in the middle of the storm. Would you bow your heads this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this congregation of men and women. Thank you for your goodness to them, Father God. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for how you've taught. I thank you, Father God, that we are moving from glory to glory. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that as a church we're becoming more and more like you. And we thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen.